that that's pretty remarkable and it speaks to mm -hmm. the underlying economic potential of psychedelics as a treatment so i'm very excited about the space and i really like what i'm seeing in the space right now What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, how you doing today? Doing well, Aaron. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, some interesting things over the weekend, which I'm sure we're going to get into in a few moments. Uh, right. Anything else uh, you do this weekend that was fun? Uh, this weekend? No. I um, What did I do this weekend? You know, Aaron, I can't even remember what I did this week, and that's how busy I am these days. Can't even remember <laughs> two days ago. Holy moly! Um, I think it was Start a good week. Strong, I guess. I, I remember yeah. I had a I had a good time. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, hopefully we're going to have a good time on this podcast and looking forward to getting in our topics in just a few moments. Mm -hmm. If this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcasts. So make sure to hit like and subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator, lifelong learner, and your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. Ton of things to cover, so let's kick it off right away with uh, mm -hmm. one of your favorite sectors that you've been that's been in the news lately: psychedelics. You know, mm -hmm. we've talked about these compounds before how they can provide the basis of a new class of medicines. And recently, it seems that the momentum in the space has been building. Even last right. week, there was a study released from NYU that said psychedelics could reduce alcoholism, you know, while a survey from the National Institutes of Health found that psychedelics uh, used among young adults is rapidly rising to record highs. Mm -hmm. Now, it's been one of your uh, favorite stocks in the space has been soaring, you know. So ultimately, with psychedelics in the news, with the stock storing, how do you feel about psychedelics right now? Uh, very bullish, Aaron. Very, very bullish. You know, we've talked about kind of uh, my favorite investment themes for 2023 or over the next 12 months. And psychedelics is one of them. Uh, that's because there is a lot of momentum building in the space, both from a news perspective and a science perspective. So you have to understand, I, I think there are two mm -hmm. things that need to happen in order for psychedelics to really take off as their own category of medicines, which I believe is going to happen. One, you need mainstream consumer destigmatization. So for mm -hmm. 50 years, these drugs, psychedelics, MDMA, LSD, uh, magic mushrooms, that active ingredient psilocybin, obviously, um, those drugs have been viewed by consumers, by the mainstream media as taboo as bad as mm -hmm. only hippies and, and drug addicts do that stuff. So there is, there's been a very negative stigma attached with those drugs in order for a new class of medicines to actually have an impact and be used, adopted by consumers, by doctors, you need that destigmatization to accelerate, to become widespread to where the point, you know, this happened with marijuana. There was a point in time where marijuana was mm -hmm. viewed as very taboo, very, you know, only druggies did it, so on and so forth. But um, we're at a point now where 
marijuana is, is almost commonplace. Actually, I believe that survey you just mentioned from the National Institutes of Health, it's a monitoring the future survey. And what they do is they mm-hmm. survey a bunch of young adults, high school kids, college kids, just out of college kids, and they survey them on their um, self-reported drug and alcohol consumption habits and, and the frequency mm-hmm. of, of consumption. That survey found for the first time ever that uh, smoking marijuana is more prevalent among all those age groups than smoking a cigarette. Um, mm-hmm. So, yep, I saw the same poll. Mar- yeah, yeah, marijuana has become very destigmatized, and it, it became destigmatized through movies, through through pop culture. Really, there was a series of movies mm-hmm. and songs and celebrities that basically were saying, you know what, weeds, it's it's a fun drug. It's not a bad drug. It's a fun drug, <laughs> and it became a fun drug. And now, you know, it, it's it's not doesn't have a negative stigma attached to it anymore. I think psychedelics are undergoing mm-hmm. that renaissance right now. For marijuana that happened in the late 2000s, early 2010s, I believe psychedelics started in the late 2010s and continuing to the early 2020s. You know, we've seen a couple of Netflix documentaries about it. We've seen a couple of mm-hmm. um, books about it. We've seen some big pieces in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal about it. So the destigmatization side of things is really progressing uh, very favorably for psychedelics. And that's progressing favorably for psychedelics as we go into 2023, which is going to be a big year for the science side of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Because the leading company in this space, a company by the name of Compass Pathways, we talked about them before, um, mm-hmm. they're going to start phase three trials for their leading psychedelic-inspired treatment, something called Comp360, which leverages psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, to treat TRD, treatment-resistant depression. Um, Mm -hmm. It's done very well in clinical trials to date, phase one and phase two. Now it's going into phase three. Those start in the fourth quarter of this year, meaning throughout 2023, we're probably going to get several data readouts from Compass Compass Pathways saying either Comp360 is working really well or Comp360 is not working really well. The overwhelming bulk of data suggests that Comp360 is going to do very well in phase three trials. Um, You reported that Mm -hmm. this is not related to TRD, but uh, psilocybin was the active ingredient used in that study you talked about with alcoholism, Uh, something about an 86% Mm -hmm. reduction in heavy alcohol use uh, through through the the use of of, uh, psilocybin. So there's a lot of data out there that shows that psilocybin is kind of this miracle drug that can treat a lot of different things. So chances are high that throughout 2023, Compass Pathways is going to give us very positive data readouts for the progression of phase three trials of Comp360. That favorable progress on the science side, coupled with continued favorable progress on the destigmatization side, I think sets the stage for psychedelic stocks to do very well next year. Not to mention next year, you're also probably going to get on the macro front, following inflation, the Fed is probably going to pivot at some point in 23, not in 22, but at some point in 23. So the macro environment is going to, going to shift. You're going to be coming out of a big sell-off. I think 2023, 2024 are shaping up to be very monumental years for the psychedelics industry, fundamentally speaking, and for psychedelic stocks, technically speaking. So... I'm very bullish on what's going on there. Compass Pathways has been breaking out in a very, very, very impressive manner. And I think that on any pullback, you're going to want to load up on that stock. I mean, the stock is what, like 15, 16, 17 bucks right now. The average mm-hmm. price target from Wall Street is like 100, 105. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, from, from Wall Street, you never see a five-fold uh, increase in the price target, six-fold, seven-fold increase in the price target. Um, that That's pretty... Remarkable, and it speaks to the mm-hmm. underlying economic potential of 
psychedelics as a treatment. So I'm very excited about the space and I really like what I'm seeing in the space right now. And so long mm-hmm. as these trends continue, destigmatization, good science. Mm-hmm. So long as those two mm-hmm. things continue, I think these stocks, rising tide lifts all boats type scenario. But favorite play in the space definitely covers pathway. CMPS is the ticker. So we've talked in the past how you don't like pot stocks. And right. the kind of the reason being, if I recall correctly, is that there's no McDonald's of pot stocks. There's no brand that's associated when it comes to marijuana. Is Compass Pathways going to be the quote-unquote McDonald's of psychedelics? And is that why you're so bullish on uh, Compass Pathways? Yeah, well, I think the um, the difference between psychedelics and marijuana, I've talked about this before, is competitive modes. In marijuana, there are no competitive mm-hmm. modes. Anybody can grow weed, yeah. and weed is weed, right? I mean, for some of us, there is a difference in, in the strain and quality or whatever, but for 95% of the casual users of marijuana, there's no difference. Weed mm-hmm. is weed. So anybody can grow it, anybody can sell it, anybody can distribute it. It's it's not that hard. So there are no competitive modes established in the business of marijuana. In the business of psychedelics, Mm -hmm. there are massive competitive modes established because they're not going direct to consumer. They're not selling this stuff in distributions, distribution stores, you know, on Mm -hmm. the corner of Fifth and Main. They're (laughs) selling this stuff through doctors, through prescriptions at treatment facilities where you take the psilocybin-inspired treatment in a room while being observed by a doctor in order to get to that point you have to go through all the fda trials you have to get approval mm-hmm. so like the competitive moats in psychedelics are enormous and that's why i really like psychedelic stocks as opposed to marijuana stocks mm-hmm. both stocks both companies psychedelic companies and marijuana companies are going to sell a lot of product they're going to move a lot of product they're both going to have huge revenues but when it comes to turning those revenues mm-hmm. into profits, marijuana companies are going to struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle because there's no competitive moat. So everything's going to reduce to a pricing war. Whoever has the lowest price is going to win. Mm-hmm. If they keep undercutting each other, profit margins are going to get wiped out. I don't see a very visible runway to Canopy Growth or Aurora Cannabis or Tilray or any of those firms turning big revenues into big profits. Whereas I look at Compass Pathways, mm-hmm. they're in a, a field of one right now. Yes, there are other companies mm-hmm. behind them, but they're four or five years behind Compass Pathways. If Comp360 clears phase three trials, gets FDA approved, it's going to have a five, six year runway where it's going to be the only psychedelic inspired treatment in the marketplace. That's a massive mm-hmm. competitive mode. They're going to be able to sell that product at whatever price they want. They're going to command huge pricing power. They're going to have huge margins and these massive revenue bases that they're going to generate are going to turn into massive profits, which is going to unlock tremendous shareholder value. So that's the difference between marijuana and sites for me is competitive modes. One doesn't have them. One does. I like the one that mm-hmm. does. That's where profits are. That's where stocks go higher. So that's the difference for me on, on marijuana versus sites right now. So based on what you're saying, it kind of brings up another interesting point in my head, at least, is that, you know, marijuana is a recreational drug where you're talking about psychedelics being a prescription based drug. What right. is the demand for prescription based psychedelics right now? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's the demand for mental health diseases. It's, it's the demand for mm-hmm. PRD, treatment resistant depression. It's the demand for mm-hmm. anxiety, ADHD, attention deficit disorder as well. It's the demand for anorexia. It's the demand for alcoholism, um, or cures to alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So wherever there is a mental health illness, what we're finding with the science, mm-hmm. it's kind of like an onion. We're peeling back the layers of the onion. We're finding that every layer we peel back, psychedelics can help there. The, the recent study on alcoholism mm-hmm. from NYU was, was fascinating. 
there are always rumors that maybe psychedelics could help with alcoholism. Um, and there have been some some ground level obser- or uh, kind of case studies of it of it working. But that study was the first one to really publish firm results saying, yes, we did a you know control group, which is a trial group, what I do the whole test and the whole experiment and psychedelics, psilocybin can meaningfully help in reducing alcohol or heavy alcohol consumption among people addicted to alcohol. So that mm-hmm. was fascinating. It's kind of like we keep peeling back the onion and we keep finding more and more use cases of psychedelics. They're basically like these miracle drugs. You know, when, when you have these mind altering substances, when administered correctly in a safe setting and in, at safe doses, they can do truly wonderful things for your brain reshape the way you think about things and reshape your mental health disorder and turn it into not a disorder anymore. Fix that disorder. So Mm -hmm. again, depression, anxiety, anorexia, ADHD, um, alcoholism, all of these things, that's a massive market. We start adding it up, all the medications given to people looking for cures to those those ailments. Psychedelics, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, will replace all of the medicines in the marketplace for mental health illness over the next 10 to 15 years. That by 2035, every single depression medication, every single anorexia medication, every single ADD, ADHD medication, every single treatment for alcoholism is going to have some form of psychedelics mixed in there because it Mm -hmm. is simply superior than the incumbent science out there and superior treatments always went out in the long run. So that's where I see the long-term demand going. And that's a huge end market for psychedelics. That's why I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. to be unlocked here. Well, definitely going to be paying attention to the Compass Pathways over the next few years. Um, but another sector that's been in very newsy lately is space. Um, and that's because SpaceX announced that uh, last week, a tie up with T-Mobile to launch these satellites that are going to beam cell coverage directly to cell phones across mm-hmm. the globe. Is, am I right in that? Uh, yes. Yeah. So SpaceX announced something with T-Mobile where SpaceX is going to launch a constellation of satellites into orbit. And mm-hmm. those satellites are okay. going to beam cell coverage to cell phones across the world. T-Mobile covering mm-hmm. cell phones. Okay. So that's pretty awesome. Pretty cool. I know I'm sure that, you know, especially for the people who don't have great cell coverage, it sounds like great news. What does this mean? And what do you think about it kind of moving forward with the whole space proposal? Right. So, I think what a lot of people don't comprehend, which is pretty wild when you think about it, is Mm -hmm. our entire world is built on the internet, is built on Mm -hmm. real technologies, is built on cellular coverage, built on mobile apps, built on software applications. Yet, and I'm trying to pull up the numbers right now. So our our, our entire world is is built on that, right? Um, But there are so many people in the world that don't have internet. So if, if I mm-hmm. look at the numbers here, um, in North America, 95% mm-hmm. of people have the internet. In Europe, 90% of people have the internet. You know, it, it, it's a ubiquity, it's common. But then mm-hmm. let's go to even like Oceania, the Australia region, that's only 70% internet. Mm-hmm. And then let's go to mm-hmm. Asia, only 67% internet penetration. And let's go to Africa, only 47% internet penetration. So what I'm trying to get at here is 
our way of life is defined by something mm-hmm. that still billions of people across the world do not have. That's mm-hmm. wild. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Netflix, Microsoft. These companies have built multi-hundred billion dollar, in some cases trillion dollar empires on the back of the internet, yet the internet is not available to billions of people across the globe. So what Mm -hmm. happens when those billions of people get internet coverage, get cell coverage, are able to tap into their phones in the middle of of anywhere and go and shop on on some e-commerce site and are able to to chat with their friends via some social media site? What happens then? We Mm -hmm. literally unlock a doubling or tripling of the global size of the size of the global digital economy. We add trillions mm-hmm. of dollars, tens of trillions of dollars to the global economy when that happens. So it is of paramount importance. And I think one of the biggest untapped opportunities in the world today, economic opportunities in the world today, is getting those 54% of people in Africa, getting them the internet. Those 33% Mm -hmm. of people in Asia, getting them the internet. Those 30% of people in Oceania, getting them the internet. The 22% of people in the Middle East without the internet, getting them the internet. Getting those people the internet, getting global internet penetration rates up to North America standards of 95%. If we do that, when we do that, we're going to unlock so much economic opportunity, so much. And that is kind Mm -hmm. of what SpaceX is trying to do with these satellites, right? The reality is we can't go down or the... The, the capital infrastructure, the capital investment required to build cell towers and internet mm-hmm. um, towers throughout Africa, throughout Asia, mm-hmm. throughout the Middle East, throughout Oceania, that is a huge capital intensive undertaking. It's going to require a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of people, a lot of resources, a lot of labor. That is a massive investment and no one's been willing to take that investment. Because we're not sure of the ROI. Okay, maybe mm-hmm. they do call the internet. Are they really going to shop online? Like, like, so the ROI is questionable yeah. and it's very long tail. So no one's been willing to take on that massive risk of building out the infrastructure. But mm-hmm. if you mitigate the risk to just flying a few satellites up into space, then they beam down internet coverage. They beam down cellular coverage to all of these places on Earth. Then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you can do it. You don't need all this investment to connect the world to the internet, to connect the world to cellular coverage. You just need a Mm -hmm. few satellites. So that's what SpaceX Mm -hmm. is doing. SpaceX is saying, hey, we can fly satellites up into space and do for a fraction of the cost at a fraction of the time uh, what it would take, Mm -hmm. you know, billions upon billions upon billions, even $100 billion to build out the infrastructure in in Asia and Africa to get these people onto the internet. So that's what the SpaceX T-Mobile deal is all about. And that's why it's super exciting yeah. because it enables or it's basically paves a pathway for us to bring all these people onto the internet, to bring all these people onto cellular coverage and thereby mm-hmm. make them more economically value additive persons of the world. That's that's sort of the, the big thinking there. Now, the, the SpaceX deal, though, is, is pretty rudimentary. It, it's just us. Uh, uh, I think believe it's just text and low quality calling. It's not okay. very advanced technology that they're proposing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other companies out there that are working on more advanced technology, like 5G, high-speed internet connectivity, being directly from a satellite to a cell phone. And that technology mm-hmm. could solve the problem I'm just talking about, bringing on all these people, uh, bringing them all onto the internet. But it also solves, okay, let's say you're 
out camping. And, you know, a lot of times when you're camping, you don't mm-hmm. have cell coverage. Or you're out on a, on a long hike in Grand Canyon, Sequoia, Redwood, you're visiting a national park, you don't have cell coverage. You can get cell coverage mm-hmm. with satellites now. Let's say a natural disaster hits Tokyo. Let's say a natural disaster, an earthquake hits San Francisco, something happens, cell coverage goes down because the cell towers probably mm-hmm. get hit by that. This will allow people to have cell coverage even in natural disasters, which could be of paramount importance to even saving lives in those situations, right? So that's very important. Um, and then another aspect of it is for um, talk about flights and planes mm-hmm. and when you're in transit, you know, I'm, I'm going on a plane today and I deal with plane <laughs> Wi-Fi all the time. It's horrendous. Plane Wi-Fi is the worst yeah. thing on the planet. This would allow mm-hmm. us to have cellular coverage on demand all the time in planes. So um, the, the this idea of developing a constellation of satellites to beam 24-7 on-demand internet connectivity to everybody across the globe whenever they want it, however they need it, is a huge idea. It is a multi-multi-billion mm-hmm. dollar idea. And SpaceX is working on mm-hmm. it and several other companies are working on it. And I think it's it's an idea you want to be invested in today. Which horse is going to win mm-hmm. the race? Tough to say. Very tough to say. Everybody's early mm-hmm. stage. It's going to be a lot of execution going forward. But you want to bet on a lot of horses in this race because one of these horses is going to win. And whichever horse does win is going to be a very, very, very valuable company. This is a very valuable enterprise mm-hmm. um, on, in, in the making. Now, when we're talking about space, obviously, you know, we're talking about SpaceX. They need to have, you know, a rocket to launch the satellite up in orbit. Uh, obviously, space was in the news yesterday. We had the Artemis 1 uh, right. get scrapped. How does something like that, when the media is covering, you know, a rocket that's supposed to go up, it's the first of its kind in a long time, and it gets scrapped? What does that kind of do to the markets when it comes to space, if anything? You know, it's it's not it's it's not a big deal. This is what people have to understand. People really view like failed launches or delays as like huge deal breakers. We're talking about rocket science, folks. Rocket science. Everybody mm-hmm. makes you know, it's not rocket science when you're fixing a sprinkler <laughs> or when you're, you're plumbing. It's not rocket science. It is rocket science. And when you're doing rocket yes. science, you have to be one hundred percent precise. It's not ninety nine point nine percent is not gonna cut it. Because that point oh one percent is how the rocket goes boom, or is how people yeah. die. It's how things get, get, get mm-hmm. destroyed. You can't have 0.01% error. You have to have 100% accuracy. So if they're going to take a week or a month or a quarter or even a year to get from 99.9% to 100%, do it. It's mm-hmm. worth it. Because okay. once you get up into space and you can do these things, it's fabulous, the economic opportunity, and even the societal opportunity, you can unlock. You know, One could say that, that man landing on the moon in 1969 brought the United States together in a way that it hasn't been brought together ever since. So there's a lot of societal mm-hmm. value here as well. It's not just economic value, but that, mm-hmm. that aside, I think what you have to realize is do not freak out about rocket launch delays, about rocket launch mm-hmm. failures, lack of an explosion. If there's an explosion, that there's something that, that, went, that went terribly wrong. But delays are just par for the course here. And if you're going to be invested okay. in space stocks, if you're going to be interested in the space economy, you have to just take the mm-hmm. plays on the chin. They're going to hit the stock and you just got to be like, all right, I heard a little bit and then move on, brush it off. 
That's how you have to deal right. with delays in, in the space economy. For example, Virgin Galactic, right? That's a stock mm-hmm. that's been, you know, it went from 10 bucks to 55, 60 dollars, just come crashing back down. You know, it's a single digit mm-hmm. dollar stock now. And the reason it's been crashing is because of delay, 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 mm-hmm. delay. Mm-hmm. Even for us, it's getting tiresome. They've been delaying commercial space operations forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It was supposed to happen this year. It's not going to happen this year. It's supposed to happen first quarter of 23, not going to happen first quarter of 23. Now it's going to happen second quarter of 23. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? Like this delay has killed the stock. But guess what? Eventually, mm-hmm. they're going to launch. And when they mm-hmm. launch, they're going to be one of only two companies, maybe the only company in the world that could do what they're doing. And there's going to be a lot of demand to, to uh, get on those ships and go see space. So mm-hmm. whenever that launches, this company is going to generate huge revenues and competitive moats, field of one. They're going to turn those huge <laughs> revenues into huge profits. So those huge profits are going to leave the stock going significantly higher. So if you're invested in space stocks, you got to brace for volatility. You got to mm-hmm. take plays on the chin and you got to brush mm-hmm. them off, move on and stay focused on the big picture. I think Virgin Galactic stock mm-hmm. is going to be fine long term. I think a lot of these other space stocks mm-hmm. have been, that have been crushed are going to be fine long term. There are a couple out there that are jokesters mm-hmm. and fraud. You want to stay away from those. I'm not going to break apart which ones are good and which mm-hmm. are bad here on this podcast. But what I will say is that there are space stocks out there right now that are significantly mm-hmm. undervalued and represent generational investment opportunities. Buying them today, mm-hmm. holding them for five years, these are stocks that could go 20x, 30x, 40x, 50x in that time frame. And so if I were a long-term investor with a five-plus-year horizon, one of the spaces I'm looking at right now, spaces I'm looking at right now, no pun intended, is space. <laughs> I think there's okay. opportunities there. Okay, sounds good. Um, but space is only one of, I think, the big three themes that we've talked about uh, that you see mm-hmm. going up in the next 12 months. Uh, energy yeah. and robotics are the other two. Uh, I want to take a po- quick pulse on those. Um, you know, is there anything new going on in the robotics field right now? And are you still bullish there? Yeah, I mean, there was a, it was a headline, I believe it was Sunday. I don't know. It was the weirdest headline on the planet. Um, a metaverse <laughs> company, a not small metaverse okay. company, I'm blanking on the name, is making a robot its CEO. Like, okay. Like they, like they designed a robot with an AI algorithm. So it's an actual robot powered by right. AI, AI software. And okay. they, they, made, they made this robot the CEO of the company. And the whole idea is they don't they okay. want to remove, they want to remove human bias from business decision-making. And they want business decisions to okay. be data-driven always. And that's why they made the robot okay. the AI software the CEO, because it by definition is going to make objective data-driven decisions every single time. There's no human bias there. So that's what they did. Mm-hmm. That's wild. That's weird. I'm not going to, that's not going to become the status, right? That The status quo. That is <laughs> a hyperbolic example of what's going on, but it shows you what is going sure. on. And what is going on okay. is that companies are adopting robotics more than ever in the current environment. A study came out from the, mm-hmm. the Association for Advancing Automation that showed that mm-hmm. Uh, enterprise adoption of robotics in the first half of 2022 was one up more than 20% year over year and two hit record highs. 
So mm-hmm. amidst this global economic slowdown, amidst this technical recession, amidst soaring inflation, amidst you know the, the, the growth rates of everything else essentially decelerating, robotics adoption is soaring by 20% to record high levels. That mm-hmm. speaks to the resilience of this trend and the importance of using robotics to solve today's problems. We have labor mm-hmm. shortages and we have supply shortages. In order to fix mm-hmm. that, what you need to do is you need to use robotics in the enterprise to move product, to make product, and to do so cost-effectively while mm-hmm. optimizing your, um, your, your resources. So mm-hmm. robotic adoption is soaring today. You're seeing restaurants use robotics with uh, the miso robot, the, the Flippy mm-hmm. and, and the Chippy and Flippy. All, those, all those little those burger flipping robots. You're seeing robots in warehouses. You're seeing Symbotic. You're seeing Berkshire Gray. They're using some great, great, great technology to automate warehouses. You're, you're seeing robotics in households. Um, iRobot just got bought out by Amazon. There's a reason Amazon's doing that. Amazon sees the need for household robotics, the opportunity in household robotics, and is now making a huge play into that space. So you're seeing robot adoption soar across the board. That's a very interesting theme, which we think accelerates over the next 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. This is just the tip of the iceberg, the first or second end of the ballgame. We're going to see robotic adoption really, 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 really grow in tremendous ways over the next three to five years. And during that stretch, Mm -hmm. the companies that make the best robotics hardware and the best robotics software are going to see their revenues absolutely soar and their stock prices are going to rise mm-hmm. as well. So the recent flow of data tells us now is a fantastic time to double, triple, quadruple down on robotic stocks, automation stocks, any sort of stock that's developing software or hardware to automate labor, reduce costs, mm-hmm. and optimize operational efficiency. If a company's creating a product mm-hmm. or service that does that, it's going to see strong demand over the next 12 months and likely over the next three to five years. We like those stocks. So very bullish on that space still. Very, very bullish. Is automation, the, I, obviously automation is the primary use cases for these robotics, but are there other instances that robotics are starting to come into market? Um. Well, Robotics are automation, right? So mm-hmm. you're seeing the, the restaurant automation, you're seeing warehouse automation, household chore automation, uh, you're seeing uh, driving automation, right? There's, there's all like, people confuse the two, but self driving is a subset of robotics. It's just the robotic mm-hmm. software, and you could say hardware to an extent. Um, that's self driving is a derivative of, of robotics, but you're seeing automation everywhere. We're very bullish on just robots doing things better faster and cheaper than humans that's going to be a pervasive mm-hmm. theme of the 2020s okay uh so 2020s robotics the other one that i want to talk about check the pulse energy uh you know there's an energy crisis over in europe mm-hmm. you know i'm reading that power prices are up 10x from their norm how is this sustainable is this sustainable you know what's going on here with energy right now yeah, energy prices in Europe are, are crazy. Energy prices in the U.S. are crazy—not as crazy, but still crazy. 
Uh, we are in a global energy crisis. There is no doubt about it. Long story short, population growth has far outpaced uh, energy supply growth for a long time. So the demand for energy has been outpacing the supply of energy for a long time. We were always looking at a potential crisis. We just needed a straw to break the camel's back. That straw was Russia invading mm -hmm. Ukraine and essentially taking a lot of the mm -hmm. world energy supply offline or reshifting it to other countries. And that straw broke the camel's back. Now we're in a global energy crisis where this demand and supply mismatch that's been growing for years and years and years and years and years has finally got blown out to a point where it's unsustainable. So how do we fix this? Well, you're not going to decrease energy demand. People need energy, okay? Where Germany and mm. France are talking about energy rationing, they are. and But that's not a long-term mm -hmm. fix. That, that's a short-term fix. It's putting a band-aid on a broken mm -hmm. arm. We can't shrink our way out of this problem. You know, I, I have this philosophy, Aaron, that when faced with a problem, you can either grow your way mm -hmm. out of it or you can shrink your way out mm -hmm. of it. Go into your home and hide mm -hmm. and the problem to pass, or you can go out in the world mm -hmm. and be the solution to that problem, solve the problem. We can't shrink our way out of this problem. We can't go and tell everybody, okay, stop driving so much. Um, okay, stop using your AC so much. So don't use your heater in the in the midst of the winter. Um, we can't do mm -hmm. that. That's not a sustainable solution. It's not a good solution. So throw that out the window. We will not shrink our way out of the energy crisis. We need to grow our way out of the energy crisis. How do we grow our way mm -hmm. out of the energy crisis? We increase energy supply. Forget decreasing demand. Let's put all our resources on growing energy supply. And we can do this mm -hmm. through many avenues. That's the wonderful thing here. There are lots of solutions to growing our way out of the energy crisis. One, we can renew oil and gas exploration in a meaningful manner. That's probably a good thing. Yes, maybe it's bad for the environment in the short term, but in the, in the uh, medium term, it's very good for the energy crisis, for solving the energy crisis. Two, we can start really mm -hmm. producing hydrogen at scale. That's going to really, really help. Three, we can build a lot more solar panels. That's going to help. Four, we can build a lot more wind turbines. That's going to help. Five, we can start or restart our efforts with uranium and nuclear energy. That could tremendously help mm -hmm. this problem. Put all those things together mm -hmm. and boom, you got a plate full of energy supply. That's how we saw the energy crisis. We grow our way out of it by doing all of these things together. A lot of people get politically biased mm -hmm. here and say, you know, we just need to do oil and gas. We just need to do clean energy. You know, forget all of that stuff. It needs to work together. The only mm -hmm. way to solve this problem is we yeah. work together. We get a little bit from every everybody. You know, oil and gas, give us 10% more. Solar, give us 20% more. Wind, give us 30% more. Hydrogen, give us 50% more. Nuclear, let's get 100% back online. Like We get a little bit from everybody and all of a sudden, boom, we're, we're good. We got way more supply than mm -hmm. we want because that's the thing about, about Earth and about society that a lot of people misunderstand. We have the room to have supply, energy supply, dramatically outstrip energy demand. It's not a question of capacity. It's a question of desire and willingness. Do mm -hmm. we, you know, are we going to throw money into these things and then build these things out? Well, now we need to. We're at a point of crisis where there's urgency to the matter. And because of that, I do think that over the next five years, one of the biggest themes of the global economy is going to be growing the energy supply and creating a more mm -hmm. durable and sustainable energy supply. And I think that involves more oil and gas exploration that includes more hydrogen production, more solar panels, more wind turbines, 
and yes, the restarting of some nuclear reactors. Put that together, and again, we solve this crisis. Investment opportunities, oil and gas, I think has run. I think you got to stay away from that. We were we talked about being short oil for a while. Actually, last week we pulled off our short oil call. Um, we told our subscribers, okay, let's you know let's let's close the books on that one. Made a nice little profit as it crashed from one twenty five to to eighty five. So let's let, let's book it. Um, so mm-hmm. we actually pulled off the short oil, but still, I don't think that you want to pile into oil and gas stocks. I think that's absolutely silly. You're buying things in the eighth inning of their rally. You're 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 mm-hmm. buying into what will be a collapse eventually. So I don't think you play it that way. Uh, play it with solar. You got the huge climate bill that's going to pour a lot of money into solar over the next twelve to twenty four months. Plus, the tariffs are on hold with respect to the the. Uh, the solar panels coming from Southeast Asia. So I think you're going to invest, continued investment boom in, in solar. So stick with the solar trade. Wind's never been that exciting. And in, from the investment perspective, it's not getting as, as much of resource allocation. So I'd stay away from wind. Um, energy storage, I think, is a really exciting value. You've probably seen a lot of those stocks start to really roar recently. Really get into those. Mm-hmm. Hydrogen just coming into its own. And for some odd reason, Hydrogen seems to be like this political middle ground where like both the right and left actually support it. Um, you know, <laughs> a lot of people on the right don't support solar panels. Um, a yeah. lot of people on the left don't support oil and natural gas. So like they, a lot of these things have been politicized, but hydrogen for some odd reason is like in the perfect middle ground. So I think it actually mm-hmm. is, is in a politically great place to see tremendous uptake over the next few years. Also, big oil is investing big in hydrogen. So big oil has got a lot of resources. They're betting on hydrogen as the future. I would I would side with that bet. So I'd stick with those hydrogen stocks. And then uranium. I think that's probably the most underrated of the clean energy sources right now is nuclear energy. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for, especially in Europe, nuclear energy to come back online and uranium to, to not go back to its heyday, but have a resurgence mm-hmm. of sorts over the next 12 to 24 months. So I would start getting selectively bullish on some uranium stocks, uh, uranium ETF, the Global X Uranium ETF, ticker URA. That one looks pretty interesting here. So I would say between solar, energy storage, hydrogen, and nuclear, you have a composite energy portfolio that will do very, very well over the next 12 months and five years. Love all those stocks. Okay. Well, we've touched on, you know, three of the big uh, sectors that you're that you like, but let's flip to the script to the macro picture, you know, since, you know, that's where everybody's attention is these days. You know, we've had this massive market rally in the summer and mm-hmm. uh, then a thousand point drop on the Dow last uh, Friday. And then immediately after Fed chair Jerome Powell delivers uh, what many considered an ultra hawkish speech at Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've been drifting lower ever since. So, What's going on there? Are we gonna and are we gonna rebound soon, uh, or are we gonna fall to record lows? Yeah. So the rally in from mid June to mid August was a very powerful rally, very technically favorable rally, mm-hmm. and in my opinion, not a head fake rally. But that rally was based okay. on two beliefs: one, inflation mm-hmm. has peaked and is going to fall rapidly and meaningfully over the next 12 months. That's part one. Part Mm -hmm. two, the Fed is going to pivot dovishly within the next few months, and we're going to get a soft landing out of this cycle. That was part two. 
Mm-hmm. The rally is giving back some of the gains because part two of that thesis has been blown to bits. Powell came out and said, we're not going to stop hiking until the job is done. We learned from the Fed of the 1970s mm-hmm. and 80s that you can't yin and yin, you know, pull and push, push, pull, push, pull with rate hikes because that just creates a very choppy mm-hmm. inflation situation. You need to keep your foot mm-hmm. on the gas with rate hikes until inflation is deader than a dead horse. Just boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom. And then when it's finally and sustainably below 2%, then you can ease up. That's what Powell said. So what that tells me, what that told the market is, one, there is no dovish pivot happening in 2022. And two, mm-hmm. soft landing is very unlikely. This Fed is going okay. to crush demand. They said it's going to mean pain for households and businesses. If the Fed, this guy, Fed Chair Jerome Powell, one of the most dovish people <laughs> ever in the history of the Federal Reserve, comes out and says, mm-hmm. what we're about to do is going to cause pain for households and businesses. The interpretation should be, let's dial that up. What they're about mm-hmm. to do is going to cause tremendous pain for households and businesses. So okay, we're going to get a lot of rate hikes over the next few months. We're going to get a mm-hmm. massive economic slowdown over the next few months. The Fed is going to crush demand. That is their goal. They want to get inflation down. They know to get inflation down, they got to crush demand. So they're going after demand. They're going after it hard. Part two of the bull thesis from that summer rally has been blown to bits. But part one mm-hmm. is not. Part one has okay. not been blown to bits. Part one, the more important part, the more meaningful part, the more meaty, substantive part is that inflation has peaked and is going to moderate meaningfully over the next several months. If anything, what Mm -hmm. the Fed is doing, what the Fed made very clear in their hawkish policy stance is that part one of the thesis, Mm -hmm. inflation deceleration or disinflation is definitely going to happen. 100%. Okay. The Fed's going to kill demand. They're going to shoot it out back. If demand crushes and <laughs> supply chains improve, which we're seeing supply chains improve, mm-hmm. that's a recipe for disinflation, rapid disinflation. So when I when you look at the macro picture for me, I think we rallied big on two reasons. One of those reasons is now mm-hmm. gone, but the other reason is still alive. So we rally big. We fall back a little bit because one of the reasons left. And then now we rebound because the other reason remains very, very real and very, very strong. Technically mm-hmm. speaking, you look at the S&P 500, we definitely formed a head and shoulders pattern on the SPX. We're probably going to mm-hmm. come down to 3,900. That's the neckline. I think we bottomed there and then rebound in September, October, November, December, and actually have a big rally into the end of the year because I bet September inflation is going to be weak. I bet October inflation is going to be weak. I bet November inflation mm-hmm. is going to be weak. And guess what I think about December inflation, Aaron? <laughs> it's going to be weak? Going to be weak. And I think this series of consecutive weak inflation print after weak inflation print after weak mm-hmm. inflation print is going to be the fuel for stocks to head higher. Let's go back to 1973, 74. The last time we saw mm-hmm. really... You know, people like to talk about the late 70s inflation, but that was after we already fought inflation in the early 70s. So I actually like to look at the early 70s inflation because what we're seeing right now is we had a prolonged period of no inflation. And now for the first mm-hmm. time in 20, 30 years, we're fighting real inflation. That was the early mm-hmm. 70s. They had this prolonged period of no inflation. 
then for the first time in a long time, they were fighting real inflation. So I like to look at that 73-74 era as a comp to the 2022-2023 era, presumably. If you look at that, stocks bottomed when inflation peaked. That, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's literally... they're perfectly inversely correlated. As inflation mm-hmm. roared higher, stocks crushed. And then as mm-hmm. inflation came down, stocks rallied. I think we see the same mm-hmm. thing here. There's going to be a lot of choppiness, a lot of noise, but I do think that stocks head higher as inflation goes lower over the next 12 months. And that eventually mm-hmm. in 2023, we are going to get a Fed pivot. The Fed has to mm-hmm. talk a tough talk right now because they have to crush demand. They can't even give any inkling that they're going to pivot dovish because what they learned is that in June, July, and August is that at the slightest hint of them going dovish, mm-hmm. the market's going to rally. And when the market rallies, yeah. financial conditions ease, yields drop, all, mortgage rates drop, and all of a sudden their intended effect of raising rates to kill demand isn't working because the market's not buying their bluff or the market's Mm -hmm. calling their bluff. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So what they realize is, okay, we can't even sound in the slightest bit dovish or else what we're doing is not going to work. So we're not going to sound the slightest, slightest bit dovish at all. We're going to sound super hawkish. We're going to scare the absolute SHIT out of this market. We're going to crush demand. And Mm -hmm. then once we do all that, we'll pivot dovish in 2023 to save the economy from an absolute freaking disaster. That's what's going to happen. And I think stocks are going to respond favorably to that over the next 12 to 24 months. It's going to be choppy. It's going to be volatile. It's not going to be a straight line up. Mm-hmm. But I think we continue to do two steps forward, one step back. That's how I see stocks okay. going. Now, importantly, against that backdrop, what I also believe is that growth stocks are going to meaningfully outperform. And that's for two reasons. One, as inflation rates come down, growth stocks are very inflation sensitive. Growth stocks should be the biggest outperformers. They were the biggest underperformers as inflation rates roared. As inflation rates Mm -hmm. decelerate now, I think they'll be the biggest outperformers. That's the first reason. Second reason is the Fed is going to kill the economy. That's what they're going to do. They're going to kill demand. So (laughs) companies that need economic demand to succeed are going to not succeed because they're not going to get that economic demand. Companies that don't need that economic demand that are driven by secular growth drivers instead Mm -hmm. of of a, of a healthy economy are going to continue to post very positive revenue growth and earnings growth over the next 12 months. As earnings growth becomes robust, earnings growth becomes more scarce. You're going to see investors pile into the companies that can still grow while everything else is not growing. So for that reason, you're going to get bigger mm-hmm. investor dollar allocation to growth stocks. So put those two reasons together. And I think not only do stocks go higher over the next 12 months, but growth stocks actually roar. You know, our portfolios are up more than 50% from their mid-June lows, I think we could pull off another 50% plus rally into the end of the year and then another 50% plus rally in the first half of 2023. So I think we're going to be stair-stepping mm-hmm. meaningfully higher in growth stocks. And I believe the bottom rung was, was in mid-June. So no, I don't think we revisit the lows. And I think instead we keep chugging higher from here. Okay. Good to hear. Um, switching into our crypto, uh, you know, which got hit, the same way I think the market did. Cryptos took a dip. I believe Bitcoin went below uh, twenty thousand. Ethereum was hovering around fifteen hundred over the weekend. Um, so the, obviously they weren't immune either to uh, any of the things that we just discussed. Um, will they follow a same trend, uh, to, similar trend to what you've just described? Yeah, cryptos are. You know, 
the crypto story is pretty broken right now. But it's mm-hmm. not broken enough for, I think, another collapse. So mm-hmm. I think cryptos, while I'm optimistic growth stocks can soar at the end of the year, I think cryptos actually consolidate in the end of the year. And then once confidence gets rebuilt, mm-hmm. restored, I think 2023, I still have that boom cycle 2023 call. Um, and I still think that's going to happen. But I'm pretty confident that into the end of the year, we're not going to see positive price action. We're going to see bounciness around 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think consolidation- Around 20? Around 20, yeah. Um, I mean, we, we really mm-hmm. broke- we had this nice little uptrend going June, July, August. That's completely yeah. shattered. Mm-hmm. Um, that channel has been broken. So we're back into kind of this range bound um, trading range. And I think we stay there, bounce, 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 bounce like a basketball. And uh, eventually someone's going to catch it and shoot the ball. And we're going to go higher. But for now, we're just going to keep bouncing, keep dribbling. And I think that means it's a good time mm-hmm. to accumulate. Um, this is an accumulation mm-hmm. stage, in my opinion. So accumulate here. And let the boom cycle 2023 take crypto significantly higher in 23 and 24, and then start to, to profit take in 25. But I think for now, there's no reason to get overly optimistic about cryptocurrencies into December 2023. I think between August and December, we stay range bound. That's my two cents. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, well, that kind of covers all our topics uh, for this week, but we definitely have some fan questions. Uh, first question from Bro Versus. I own Polestar stock from prior to the SPAC demerger uh, get from GGPI. Despite being an actively producing EV manufacturer, good fundamentals, strong backing uh, from Volvo and Geely, the stock has struggled to break away from its SPAC $10 levels. Do you consider this a growth stock or am I missing something? Pulsar is a growth stock, but can it succeed long-term? Yes. Is it one of my favorite EV stocks? No. Mm -hmm. I think that in in this competitive world of EV makers, you're going to have very few winners. And so you want to bet on the horses that have the best jockeys, that have the best teams that can execute through what Mm -hmm. will be a lot of change in the electric vehicle industry over the next several years. Uh, Lucid has that. Mm -hmm. Rivian has that. Uh, mm. Polestar, I, I'm not convinced Polestar has what it takes. So uh, Polestar could work, mm. but it's it's not an EV mm-hmm. stock that I'm very bullish on at this point in time. Okay, sounds good. Uh, next question from Greg Kelly. With this down cycle of semiconductor stocks, should those of us who didn't know to sell at the peak just hold on what we have or blow them out and buy so far? Uh, I, would, I would blow them out. I would, I would get out of semis. I, okay. I, think, I think with the Fed's commentary that they're basically going to crush the economy, uh, you can't be in semis. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of these semis are still pretty mm-hmm. richly valued. You cannot judge a semi, and you, just like you cannot judge airlines, and you cannot judge oil and gas stocks mm-hmm. by PE multiples. Mm-hmm. People look at those PE multiples and they say, okay. oh, they're super low. Let's buy them. Right, they're on sale. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. You want to buy cyclical stocks like airlines, semis, and oil gas when their P multiples are exorbitantly high and sell them when their P multiples are very, very, very low. You want to do the opposite of you know fundamentals 101. Now, why is that? Because mm-hmm. not only do their P multiples oscillate, but their earnings oscillate. The E on the P multiple oscillates, right? So when earnings mm-hmm. are really high, these Stocks tend to have really low P multiples, which means they're at the peak of a cycle and earnings are about mm-hmm. to collapse. 
Then once the earnings collapse and the P multiples get blown out and become super, super big, that's when you want to buy because it usually means at the bottom of the cycle and the earnings are about to go significantly higher. So when I look mm -hmm. at a lot of these semi-stocks, I see pretty low P multiples. I see pretty compelling valuations. Yes, but that tells me stay away. They're at peak cycle. Earnings are about to come down. And that mm -hmm. became really emphasized to me with the Fed's commentary. Uh, again, I truly believe Powell is going to crush the economy. Like, I really <laughs> believe that. I think you try to make that as clear as possible. So mm -hmm. if he crushes the economy, then semi-stocks are going to see demand get clobbered. Their earnings are going to get clobbered. And their P multiples are going to get blown out. Once they do get blown out, that's when we come in and buy. But I think there's a lot of downside between where we are today and where that bottom is. So I would I would get out of semis. I would stay out of them. Even if you didn't get the peak, I would, I would not commit new money to them for sure. Don't commit new money. But if you have old mm -hmm. money, I would actually get out and start allocating it towards growth stocks that I think are going to succeed mm -hmm. as the economic environment gets more volatile and choppy. Okay. Good advice. Uh, next question from Rusty Russ. Uh, two questions. What sector or what stocks would be the top pick right now? Uh, and what stock pick is your what stock pick is your number one pick right now? Ooh, Rusty. Number number two, I can't answer for you. That's a that's a pay. <laughs> Uh, I think with number one, we already covered. Yeah, number, number one, I, like I said, I have my big three right now. I have my big three are yeah. energy, robotics, and space. Mm -hmm. I think in that mm -hmm. wheelhouse are the best investment opportunities for 2023. And actually, maybe it's maybe it's four. Maybe it's Fave four because psychedelics mm -hmm. are in the mix. But with psychedelics, I only mm -hmm. play with Compass Pathways. I don't think there are, there are other great bets out there right now. So um, it's the big three plus Compass Pathways. Let's put it that way. Okay. All right. I think that's a good answer. Uh, and our last question from Rob Norman. The big question is, Luke, when will inflation fall? It looks really sticky. Uh, it doesn't look sticky to me, actually, at all. It doesn't. Every single leading indicator I'm looking at. So all the, the Fed districts do their monthly price or their monthly surveys of CEOs in that district, the Philly Fed, the Empire State, the Atlanta Fed, the Dallas Fed. Uh, they just survey CEOs in their districts and they ask them, how's, how's business going? They ask them all these questions. One of the questions is how much are you paying for, for your goods? You know, what's the prices paid for raw materials? And the prices paid mm -hmm. index in all of these surveys is collapsing, like absolutely collapsing. And whenever you get collapses like this, we're talking 40, 50 point collapses, that's consistent with every time that happens across the board on these surveys, it's historically speaking, you get a three to 4% deceleration in inflation. So mm -hmm. based on leading indicator data, that, that, that those, those survey datas, um, inflation rates look due for a drop from 8% to 5 or 6% over the next few months. Um, then okay. how much farther can they go below that? That's the question of, 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 the, uh, of the decade, really. Um, and I think mm -hmm. they continue to go lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. The Fed is going to crush the economy. We, the, let's just let's brace for that. So oil, thing, yeah, no, yeah, I get it. Yeah, oil prices are not yeah. going to go significantly higher. Oil prices are at best going to stay range bound in the '90s, and at worst, come back to the '80s, maybe down to the '70s. The Fed's going to kill the demand side of that picture. Okay, so Fed's going to crush demand, leading to lower oil prices, lower energy prices, which is going to lead to lower prices across the spectrum. 
then I think you're going to get thawing of tensions between Russia and Ukraine. You're going to get more grain exports out of there. Food prices are going to come down. We're not going to have this massive drought that we had in 2022. It persists into 2023. So food supply in 23 is going to boom. And I think what you're going to get is this combination of disinflationary tailwinds, disinflationary factors that's going to lead from inflation to it peaked. Inflation has peaked, in my opinion. And it's going to drop from 8% to 2% in a matter of 12 to 18 months. And as that happens, stocks are going to rally. So when's inflation going to die? Inflation is dying right now. It's, it was, mm-hmm. it's, been, it's being taken out back and it's getting beaten. Slowly but surely, it's getting beaten. <laughs> and guess what? Fed Chair Powell just bought a freaking knife to the fight. You know, he is now knifing mm-hmm. inflation. He is done. He is sick okay. and tired of playing games with inflation. He is serious mm-hmm. about killing it. And he's going to because he mm-hmm. has the power to. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. when you put all these factors together, inflation is yesterday's problem. And now mm-hmm. what we have to worry about is, okay, in the quest to kill inflation, are we going to create a, re- like a deep recession or a depression? Mm-hmm. That's more the mm-hmm. risk now. I, don't, I, I think okay. if we move past the inflation risk, it's going to mm-hmm. die. We have to worry mm-hmm. about in, in the quest of killing inflation, how much pain are we going to cause? And I think that's what the mm-hmm. market is trying to digest right now. I think we're in such a solid economic state today in terms of the labor market and in terms of household savings that we're not going to cause a significant amount of economic pain, but it could be wrong. And so that's the risk we have to monitor going forward is how much pain are we going to cause in the quest to kill inflation? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we'll be here each week to monitor that pain. Uh, Great insights, as always, for our listeners and HGI investors. Luke, do you have any last words before we wrap? Uh, no, Aaron, I mean, we've covered, covered quite a bit of ground today, pretty fast too, um, rapid fire. No, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good. I, I just think that I think people should not overreact to daily gyrations, even weekly gyrations in the markets. Um, we are in mm-hmm. a volatile, uncertain macroeconomic client, climate, which creates wild gyrations in the stock market. So to react mm-hmm. significantly to a very good day, or a very bad day, or a very good mm-hmm. week, or a very bad mm-hmm. week is not smart. Instead, you need to look at a mm-hmm. multi-month picture and understand the trends of things and respond to those trends. Respond more to the data, the mm-hmm. economic data, than the stock market kind of price generation. So that's my two cents for now. And I think that if you just follow that advice, you should be fine in this economy, in this market. <laughs> Great. Uh, we we want to thank everybody for listening. Please, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, leave them in our comments section. We love to hear your feedback and any topics you'd like us to cover and always see if we can answer any of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe and we will see you next week. Bye all. 